behind closed doors. This is Beer and B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Today we are going to discuss The Hitchhiker from 1953, directed by Ida Lupino. And we are drinking Judgment Day Quad with Raisins from The Lost Abbey down in San Marcos. Cheers. Cheers. So Michael, you have to tell them the alcohol percent in this. This this beer is, it's a quad, so that's going to tell you one thing. One thing, it's going to be a little boozy. It's a 10.5 ABV. But it's not overly boozy tasting. No. It's actually surprisingly smooth, which is scary, because it comes in a 750 milliliter bottle. A little sweet. It is. Don't let the raisins scare you off. It doesn't taste like raisins. The raisins add a little sweetness. There's almost a wine kind of grape vibe going on there. That was my first thought when you said raisins, but my taste, it tasted a little like wine, like grape juice. There's a little smokiness in there. I mean, it smells. It's just got all sorts of stuff going on. Well, I hope. I love this beer. It's it's great. It's one of my favorites. And the label on the bottle is fantastic. It's the is it the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse? Yeah. It's Judgment Day. It's Judgment Day when it comes to the Hitchhiker, and yeah. I'm hoping to finish this beer <laughs> by the point where we do, we discuss how Emmett Myers buys these men some beer. He well Emmett Emmett Myers is he the antagonist? Yes. He's the Hitchhiker of the title. He's a he's a disturbed fellow. He he's, got, he's got a bum eye, which I'm guessing kept him out of the war. This is post-World War II. We have uh, Collins and Gill, or a couple of buddies, going on a guy's weekend fishing trip, we're led to believe. A little wenching maybe on the side. They take a they Gil, take a side trip that causes them all their problems. Yes, Gill, Gil, there's these guys are war buddies. And there's definitely the feeling that Gill was sort of the pilot, maybe. And Collins, we know, is a mechanic. So there's that hierarchy of the pilot, mechanic. Gill's sort of, you know, kind of a pretty boy. Collins is a little rougher around the edges. Sort of the stereotypes. But we're getting ahead of ourselves there. Now, let's let's talk about this being a B-movie. It hits the traditional definition... It was a $200,000 budget. It was an RKO production. RKO. RKO. If it says RKO, <laughs> there's a good chance it's a B-movie. That's what that's what they did. They yeah. did other things, but they really kept the doors open with the B-movies. They focused on that. And that's that was just, it was smart business by them because they were able to churn out a lot of movies. And they did great stuff. This, this is a great movie. I struggled with this, calling this a B-movie. Other than the fact that it's RKO and the budget's low. Because this film, this is a great movie. This is a well-shot, well-acted, tight... I mean, it's like an hour and ten minutes. I agree. It is a good movie. Yeah. And I had never heard of this movie until I was scrubbing lists of B-movies. And this one jumped out on a couple lists I saw on the internet. So I'm like, oh, I've never heard of it. It's in the public domain. Let's let's give it a try. But it, like you said, it's beautifully shot. It, Nicholas the, Musuraka, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. A better tip than me. <laughs> he's, he's a well-regarded, not widely known cinematographer. He shot, he helped sort of set the tone for the film noir genre with his lighting. He did Out of the Past, which is 
one of the classic film noir movies of all time. And he did a lot of the Val Luton movies, his horror movies, the Cat People, Return of the Cat People. RKO. Tons of horror and film noir. This falls into that like shady area of police procedural or film noir. It has a lot of those elements, even though it's a shot in like open spaces. Noirs are usually a little more enclosed. But you see the lighting early on when they pick up the hitchhiker, Emmett Myers, and he's in the back seat. Complete, you just see a silhouette. It's completely dark, and they're in light. It's just this high contrast lighting that goes on that Musaraka helped define a whole genre of films. And that was a great scene because Collins, Roy Collins, asked Gil, hey, could you light a cigarette? Because he wants to see this person too. And as soon as that light comes on, it's just the gun yes. with blackness around. Which again, the opening of the movie, we get the car pulling up. We don't see any faces. It's all low shots of a car pulling up, a car from Illinois, and a hitchhiker. They pick him up. Then we go to, <laughs> he murders them, gets out, shoots a woman. You hear a woman scream. You see a car door open. Bang, bang, bang. A woman screams. Her purse falls out. So right there, we find out a man cold-bloodedly murders a woman and a man. For what it's worth, at that time, killing a woman like that was really kind of brutal. This was, this was is a, a nasty little movie. I was going to say, that's the perfect term. This is a nasty, gritty film for the time period. I was surprised by it. But once again, you're right. This is a great movie. It fits that B-movie definition, but this is a great movie and people should, they should watch it. People should see this and everything like that. And maybe it's me, a B-movie doesn't necessarily mean bad. No. It's just a low budget. We have, we've we've done other B-movies that are straight up bad movies. (laughs) But B-movies aren't necessarily bad. And this one was, this is just a tight little piece of work. And an hour and 10 minutes, it could have been longer, but I think it was the perfect time. It just, it wastes no time. It wastes, there's not a second. It's just propulsive is what I wrote down. It's just moving forward constantly. It's very car centric. Which is also interesting because the post-war, post-World War II, was the car boom in this country. Exactly. Everything, and it's very car-centric. Because you're hitchhiking, so it's cars. You got these guys on a road trip doing who knows what. They pick this clown up, and he's he's creepy. He is. He's a straight-up creepy dude. (laughs) Ida Lupino, and I think she gets credit for being the first she is the first woman to direct a film noir film this is considered film noir and she gets that credit she the story is based on a serial killer named bill cook from the 1950s he murdered a family of five a a traveling salesman then kidnapped a deputy sheriff he went on a 22 day rampage and then kidnapped once again two two buddies who were on a trip together which this is what the movie focuses on before he's captured and Time Life magazine, if you want to see some some pictures, this this was a big focus at that time period. Like this made Life magazine, and there's tons of pictures of Bill Cook. There is I, I made a note because I was researching. I, I went down that rabbit hole. <laughs> Edward Bunker, he's Mr. Blue, the old man, Mr. Blue and Reservoir Dog. He wrote crime besides being an actor he wrote crime fiction he mentions that he in his memoir education of a felon that he attacked cook in the showers now in terms of timing he's probably incorrect he probably attacked someone else but still this incident had a big impact and later on i think we're going to talk a little about hitchhiking because that's another rabbit hole i went down to i would just like to say at what point in your life is attacking anyone in a shower an option that's that's just (laughs) true 
and and you just I wouldn't go telling people I I picked a fight in the shower I just that's my time to get clean and get out that's Edward, Edward Bunker maybe you didn't attack Billy Cook but you attacked somebody and then you just were like okay saying yeah I attacked someone in a shower he probably maybe he had a bad eye and that's, you assumed it was Billy Cook it's just that you don't don't do that it's I know you're in prison maybe. But it's just clean and get out. That's that's what a shower is for. It's not for attacking people <laughs> in any way, shape, or form. You're like, dude, stop. Well, let's talk about Emmett Myers, the character who is portraying Bill Cook. He is played by an actor named William Talman, who I think people from that period knew him later on as the DA in all the Perry Mason episodes. Who kept losing to Perry Mason. He's just He's got a 0-0-0 batting average against Perry Mason. That's... He did the, all the, he's fantastic. He is. He is just, I mean, to me, it's up there with um, Night of the Hunter with Robert Mitchum. Yes. As just a very disturbing, unpleasant presence on the screen. I agree. When he, he just nihilistic, doesn't care about anything, just values life, absolutely not. Just a very, very reprehensible, scary person. He is. To think that there are people out there like that. I totally agree. What He was a treasure as an actor. He died when he was 60 from lung cancer. Yeah. Liked um, his smoking. He liked his smoking. His presence, his acting, you felt unsafe the entire time. He was random, chaos, death. <laughs> and even even the sense of when they're driving through the... Because they're driving through the Mexican desert. You don't have a sense that they're even going... And they're, even though they're playing on map, they're... they're Ida Lupino directed in a way where you have no sense. It seems random. They're just turning corners here, and you have the beautiful, even though it's shot, supposed to be Mexico, it's shot up out in the Alabama hills, up in Owens Valley near Lone Pine. You have no sense. It seems random when they're driving their car, and there's no landmark that says, hey, we know where we're going. And that sense, that sense of dread every time he's on screen, he does a fantastic job. Overlooked, under underseen. It's it's one of those kind of classic villain. There's a scene where he takes Gil's watch and he says, let me see that watch. And he takes the watch and he looks at it. He said, I had a watch like this. And then he said, no one gave it to me. I took it. He stole the watch and stuff. And you sort of, you almost get a look and you go, uh, this guy, this guy, he started way behind everyone else. And I'm not saying he deserves our sympathy, but something created this guy. He didn't just come out of nowhere and decide, I'm going to be this horrible person. We're talking about William oh, Talman. No, no. Not, not that I feel sympathy for yeah. the guy. Oh, exactly. But something created this guy. This guy, you know, he has the bum eye. And that's something they don't address. We know that Gill and Collins were in World War II. You know, they served together. And you get the impression Emmett Myers, he has a bad eye. So you just, they don't say it, you get the impression he didn't serve. And probably because of his eye, among other things. Yeah. He's a lunatic, Yeah, you know. And there is a point where the army, you know, the military says, you're too crazy to even go out there and kill people. But he, you get that impression that he didn't, and he sort of looks at, he has this, you think you're better than me attitude. You guys, everybody thinks they're better than me, and I'm just as good as you. And he's got this inferiority complex that he take, is taking out on these guys because they were in the military. He wasn't. That's I get that. 
No, I, I think that's if, a good analysis. Yeah, but you, it, there is something I almost feel bad for the guy because there's, it's like something helped create him. Like yeah. he was not raised. I don't think people were raising him to like just go randomly kill people while you're hitchhiking. No, it was he was it just he had a bummer of a life. It explains the behavior. It doesn't excuse it. Exactly. In terms of Bill Cook's life, who this character is based on, from my reading, I believe the mom had left the dad. The dad moves the kids to a empty mine. And then the dad took off at one point. And I think child services at the time or whatever child services were in that state at the time came and took the kid. And he lived most of his life in and out of orphanages and foster homes. And there's a point where he came back when he's adult and he told his father, I'm just going to roam and do what I need to do. You know, I'm paraphrasing. I don't have the exact phrase written down my notes, but something like that. You know, eventually he, he was out in California. He moved throughout the Southwest. And just one day he decided, I'm going to go on this rampage and everything like that. And at the end, too, the warden that oversaw him when he, he was executed. Bill Cook was executed. He said he was the most lonely person that he's ever seen. Uh, what's the exact quote? Um, I'm going to look it up real quickly because it was really strange that a deputy um, would say, he, he kept, at the time of his rest, Bill Cook said, I hate everybody's guts and everybody hates mine. <laughs> and he refused all interviews before he was executed. And Warden Teets said, he's a completely alone young man I have ever encountered. So yeah, something created. Growing up in an abandoned mine sounds kind of neat, but that's <laughs> probably not the reality of it. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, when you're a little kid, you'd be like, yeah, it's so cool. You're in an abandoned mine. But I mean, if the that, reality of it. <laughs> yeah, if you wake up one day and your mom just bailed, she disappeared, and your dad goes, we're going to go live in an abandoned mine. For five minutes, you go, "Wow, this is cool," and then suddenly you go, "No, this is a living hell. This is not. This is not fun at all. Not conducive to raising well-balanced <laughs> no. children." Cheers to that, my Cheers friend. Cheers to that. Cheers. That's, that's... <laughs> Another good taste of the lost Abbey Judgment Day. Yes, <laughs> which Judgment Day came for Mr. Cook. It did, and, and Judgment King comes for the character Emma Myers in this movie. It's interesting when it does come because you sort of you 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 assume a character like this is is gonna die. It's gonna be a shootout. But he really is. There's a, there's a moment where is it Gil? Somebody they say without that gun, you're nothing. It's it's Collins. Collins. When he's like, yeah. I, I believe he says, "You stink, Myers." <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, your oh. clothes stink. This is this is after Myers gets the great idea, yeah. which he finally comes up with. Of switching clothes because he's got you know the leather jacket and the dark clothes of the outlaw, and he switches with Collins who's wearing like LL Bean fishing gear outfit with a jaunty cap, and he says we're going to switch clothes. So if anyone's looking for me, they're going to see you. At that point, Collins's hair suddenly goes sha na na, and it's like this sort he's of like Bowser. <laughs> it, it is. It's totally Bowser. It's like his hair changes when he puts on the leather coat. So that's Myers's idea to outwit everybody is to change clothes, but to still stay with the same people. And that's when Collins is, your clothes stink, you stink, you know, without that gun. You're nothing. Yeah. So you better keep it. And we find out at the end, when he tries to set it up for Collins to get shot, when they're going to take this boat, this ferry, he loses the gun in a fight with Gil. And then 
He is. He's pretty. He's not. He's not a man of anything without that gun. No. Because he lets himself get caught, and they handcuff him. And you see right there, it's it's like putting a leash on a cat. A cat will just lay down. If you've ever done that, it's actually a very funny thing to do. You put a leash on a cat, <laughs> and cats, without even pulling on the leash, a cat will just lay down and be like, uh-uh, that's not what you do with me. You don't put me on a leash. I'm not a dog. But he does. He like, raises up, and he's just like, ah, I'm confined. I'm trapped. But you realize he is. He's nothing without that gun. No. He's kind of a he's kind of a paper tiger, I guess. No, that's a good way to describe him. Yeah. But and, when he does have the gun, he will kill you. Yeah, exactly. So Roy Collins is played by Edmund O'Brien, and Gilbert Gill, as we know him, Bowen, is played by Frank Lovejoy. Major characters, actors during the time period. There was actually a radio show called The Night Beat, and they actually both competed for the lead for that show. They both went out for that role. Great character actors. Edmund O'Brien won an Oscar? Yeah. Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, The Barefoot Contest in 1954. So right after this movie. It is three men in a car driving through the desert. And it is constant Without tension. air conditioning. Without air conditioning. <laughs> and the geography, they were supposed to go to the Chocolate Mountains... They headed south, and they went to Mexicali, and then they went, they picked up Emmett Myers, they're going to San Felipe, and eventually they make their way to Santa Rosalia. Myers' plan is to, because he's never committed a murder in Mexico, so this is his thinking, (laughs) is that he is going to take a ferry from Baja, California, for Santa Rosalia the Gaimas in uh, in Mexico. He's not... That's how it works, right? Yeah, exactly. If you murder people in one country and you go to the other country, it cancels each other out. It's like a new... You just reset the clicker. Now, my my one issue is at the very beginning, and it's a great (laughs) intro, they know, they have a sense that Emmett Myers is the one who is causing these deaths across the southwest this hitchhiker and they're actually you see that that classic 1940s 50s montage of the newspaper swirling and then you see emmett myers my issue is that i would expect gill among gill and collins to be a newspaper reading man and say you know what maybe we shouldn't be picking up hitchhikers right now but however he is going on a fishing weekend where he might that might be his version of leaving the cell phone at home gotcha no, fair fair analysis. Also, the spinning newspaper yeah. thing, RKO did Citizen Kane. Spinning and that was, a, that was a big thing in <laughs> Citizen Kane. It was, it was a nice way to just sort of, tr- you know, give you information without a lot of exposition. Woo, the spinning paper comes at you. And it's great. What's interesting, what you said, though, three men in a car. You mentioned this, worth bringing up. Directed by Ida Lupino, starred as an actress. By This is a gritty little movie for a woman at that time to be directing. But what did you notice about women in this movie? They are absent from this movie. In fact, I think we walked through this. There's four women that we could attest to being in this movie. One is Gil's wife. When him and Collins are driving, Gil mentions this is the first time on this trip that he's been away from his wife and kids since the... The war. Other than the war. So you don't see him just to mention. Two, they decide to head south through Mexicali and they they romanticize about... I don't know if it's a madam or a stripper. Florabelle. Florabelle, who for some reason they think, man, it's been such a while, I'm assuming she's dead. I don't know if she was an older madam or something like that at Mexicali, but they had fond memories of Florabelle. I love, they go, she's probably dead by now. She's a woman, you went to war. Yeah. 
<laughs> you know, you guys went off to this horrible war, and you're just assuming that this woman who didn't go to war, she's just living in Mexicali, hasn't really, probably doesn't do a lot of traveling, just lives in Mexico. She's probably dead by now. So is 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 it because? You just think she lives a low life, or is it was she really old? But you get the impression Gil wants to take a little sidetrack yeah. to do a little wenching. Extra, <laughs> uh, yes, wenching. I like that. That's a good term for it. Wenching. And Collins is like, uh, I thought we were going fishing. He's like, eh, you're fishing here. And it's like, you know, so so right there, you kind of you get it, you get an idea of like the moral compass of these people. That you know what? Yes, Emmett Myers is a horrible, horrible person, but. Is he really that different from the guy who says, I'm going to go for a fishing weekend, but I'm going to really go see Florabelle and cheat on my wife? There, there probably is a difference. We're not here scale. to judge. We're um. not, there is. <laughs> it does. It, we're not here to judge. But but I think if you look at this movie as a morality play, then what you're saying is, hey, these two men, I'm going to use your term, lost weekend, and their choice of making a immoral, unethical decision and not telling their wife or significant other results in them picking up a hitchhiker who this could be, this could end their life. Now, getting back to other women who are mentioned, the only other woman we see, we physically see only two other women in this entire movie. One is a small girl, and one is... And she plays a, a, a role in a scene that we'll talk about. The other is just a teenager. They're in Mexico, a male and female. They're in a jalopy and they stop and, and tell the police, hey, we think we saw these two guys who had a busted tire, you know, a couple miles back. Other than that, women are absent from this film. And so as you might have mentioned, maybe Edith Lapina was trying to say something like, this is a men's issue. Because we have these conflicting characters. We have Emmett Myers as this chaos, like this death that's approached, this randomness in your life. And you have Gil and Collins. And Gil is a draftsman, and Collins owns a garage. And even Emmett Myers says, oh, well, Gil, then you're the smart one. Assuming that someone who's a draftsman and therefore using artistic or creative talent is higher in a hierarchy than someone who owns a garage and fixes cars. And these two men are very different in their approach to addressing their issue with Myers. Those are, we, we have these character actors. We have the lack of women in this movie. So what's your thoughts on what she was trying to say? I mean, you, you could look at it and say, men are the problem. All the bad things going on are due to men. You know, either the maliciousness of a guy like Myers... The amorality of a guy like Gil, if you are buying into the idea that he's getting away and he's going, let's go down, instead of fishing, let's be honest, I want to go down and winch around. And then Collins, to me, ends up ideal that we should all aspire to because he's, you know, he's going to stand up for himself. He's not going to take it. He's going to try to impact with the situation he's in. Gil is sort of there. He's, he said, we're captives. Let's just try to keep this guy from killing us. And Collins is saying, we need to get the hell out of here. We got to do this. Myers says Gil's smarter because he's the draftsman. But Collins is more useful. Like, he knows how to fix the car, what's wrong with the car. He knows. He has the idea with the little girl when they go, Myers says we need to stop for supplies. And I think, is it tomato soup? Tomato soup. <laughs> Myers likes tomato soup. <laughs> he to he's like, we got to get stuff. Get tomato soup. And also, you know. Don't talk Mexican. That's his big thing. Yeah. It's not Spanish. Don't talk Mexican because he's afraid. Gil knows a bit of Spanish. Myers is afraid that Gil will tell people. 
So they go into the place to buy supplies. That's where they encounter the little girl. Collins has the idea. He keeps loading stuff into the box. He says, keep putting cans in there. His idea is, I'm going to load this box up and maybe throw it at Myers or hand it to him. And then it's heavier than he thinks something. But it's it's an idea to get away. His, his mind is moving towards escape. Gills is... I'm going to stay here because that guy has the gun. And then the little girl comes up when Collins is going to execute his little plan to go, eh, throw the box at him. The little girl comes up and that's Gil runs up and grabs the girl. She she foils the plan. Yes. And Gil, out of Roy and Gil, Gil's the only one with kids. Gil hugs her so intently and tells her to go with God because I, I believe at that scene he realized like this was our last chance. And now we're definitely dead. Because the whole time that Emmett is there, he he basically tells him, not directly like, I'm going to shoot you today. But he constantly <laughs> tells him like, when I don't need you anymore, yeah. this will be it. I yeah. mean, he constantly, he mentally tortures the men their entire trip it's with horrible. threats that he is going to kill them. Yeah. But he keeps them It's not a matter of time when, like if, it's, it's when. It's when, exactly. And when we get to this place, I'm going to kill you. Yes. Just so you know. Well, there's that scene where... He, your judgment day yeah. is coming, <laughs> you know, to go back to this. Exactly. And I'm almost done. It's, and it, it is affecting me. <laughs> but it's, again... It's cheers. delicious. This is... it's. Yeah. There's a sweetness. It's not saccharine sweet. It's not overly sweet. And this is a, it's a good point. First of all, I'd ask you, do how often is raisins used in brewing beer? Is it just... This Belgian, or it's, it's not. I mean, it's not a regular thing. Lost Abbey has a, a few beers that they use raisins in, probably you know for the sugars to add you know sweetness, and it, it also will kick. You add sugars, it's going to kick that alcohol up. It adds, you know, it's dark color. Yeah, yeah. they do a bang up job with it. And again, when you see raisins, I tell people all the time, don't don't be afraid that there are raisins in there. Well, because I'm, it's not going to taste like a box of raisins. There's, it just adds some sweetness to it. It's delicious. And Emmett says, hey, I'll buy you guys a beer if we get the Santa Rosalia. <laughs> I might. I might. I might. I buy might it. even buy you guys and a beer. And he does come true with, with that promise. Before that, before they get the Santa Rosalia, because they get to Santa Rosalia on foot. And this is a part of Emmett Myers, this psychological torture. He has him pull off next to an old well and he has Collins throw a rock in there insinuating that he's going to push them into the well or shoot them and throw their bodies into the well then he feeds them their last meal and even throws them he's like hey have a cigarette he tosses the cigarettes to Gil and Gil takes one and toes it, throws it to Collins and Collins takes it and just hucks it back at Myers he's not going to smoke and he tells Myers hey save it for the next guy you pick up Collins is very defiant Yes, he is. He, he is not. Gil seems, I don't want to say comfortable, but he seems to acquiesce to the situation much better than Collins. Collins? Collins is fighting the whole time. He's just bucking that bit. And Gil is very much passive. I agree. Collins is a man of action. And the results is that he is constantly abused by Emmett Myers. In fact... You never, I don't remember in the movie ever Emmett saying, hey, Gil, or hey, Bolin. He constantly says, Collins, Collins, Collins. And Collins is the one who he hits in the back of the head when the radio goes out. He believes Collins, and Collins did, in fact, mess with the radio. He Collins is the one when he first tries to escape, and Gil follows, and Collins falls. A pause of the Gil. Gil stays with Collins. He could have took off. 
but he helps Collins. In fact, Emma at one point says, you know what? You guys are basically idiots. You're soft. You could have escaped, but you cared for each other. Yeah. Because I don't care for anyone. I don't look out for anyone but myself. And that's paraphrasing. No, the, you are spot on. No, <laughs> you're absolutely right. It, it is basically you, your, your love for each other it, is why you're here. Yeah. Your friendship is the only reason that you're here. It's detrimental he, to yes. your life. <laughs> Which is a, a very... If you think about it, if you're saying that friendship and supporting people is a negative thing, this once points out that how Emmett is a psychotic. Like, he is only... He doesn't care about anything. The only thing he's out for is himself. So back to the situation, they're at this well. The car doesn't work anymore. And so now they've been the long walk to Santa Rosalia. And when they do get there, he does buy him a beer. <laughs> he does he really buy them does. a beer. <laughs> there is the suspension of disbelief, but at any point, he should have killed them. I agree. But when, when the cars broke down, yeah. you're in the desert, you're by the well, gotta walk now. What purpose does it serve to bring those two guys with you? I don't know. And, I, and there's a side part of this movie that we're not really diving into details about, which is it's very much a police procedural. And you see an American FBI, I'm assuming it's FBI working with um, Mexican National Police, and they play a trick on Emmett Myers. They know where he's going. Super clever. But they release this news report that says they don't believe he's with Gil and Colin to have gone missing, and they don't believe that he's in Mexico. Myers feels safe having these people with him. And maybe it's because he feels some sort of superiority with the gun and ordering them around, particularly Collins who wants to constantly fight against him. But he's made it clear too that I mean, maybe he's just such a sociopath that he enjoys toying with him. And then when it's done, he'll let them go once he gets to Gymus. So I'm not sure why he keeps them around. It's something you mentioned though. That is, is worth we we should touch more on is the Mexican police officer who is like doggedly following them, tracking them, and doing a bang up job. This guy is on it. We we made the comparison of uh, uh Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Absolutely. When they keep getting tracked and they go, you know, who is who are these guys? And because this guy just keeps every time they do something, they steal gas and Gil leaves his ring. They pull up to a place. Myers kills a dog that comes up to him, which is just again. Another instance of him being the horrible person. Yeah, but when they're pumping the gas, stealing the gas, Gil leaves his ring as like a little sign to say little, you know, breadcrumbs along the way. So this Mexican police officer comes and finds that. This guy, this guy's just a bloodhound. He's on them the whole time. And like you said, they pull that trick saying, oh, you know what? We don't think he's even here. Let's his guard down a little bit. He breathes a little easier. He's not quite as tense. And it, and it was also interesting. They heard that right at the point where he was going to kill them. Absolutely. Was, they just happened to have the radio on. And the car, that's when the car was dusted. Yes. It was like the crankshaft. There's a hole in the crankshaft. It's done. Colin says, nah, the car ain't going nowhere. But they happen to have the radio on. And they go, hey, by the way, here's a special report. Myers isn't even in Mexico. <laughs> And then he's like, I don't have to kill you now. Exactly. No, it's like, you know, we're going to walk through the desert together. And I'm going to get you a beer at the end of this walk. Exactly. (laughs) And one of the things I I like, and it's it's just a small thing. There's a good amount of Spanish spoken in this movie. There is. And there are scenes that are all in Spanish. No subtitles. You know exactly what's going on. It's a great piece of filmmaking 
where they go, they're speaking a language I don't understand. I know I can pick up a couple words here and there, but I don't know it, but you're doing, it's great filmmaking when you can convey what's going on. And I don't even know what language you're speaking. That was another piece of just tight, tight filmmaking. All around, I have to recommend this movie. The actors are great. Ida Lupino does a great job directing. I'm going to let you say Nick's last name. <laughs> After having half a bottle of Judgment Day. Is it Nicholas Murasaka? Something like the... Musara- the cinema- or is it Musarak? <laughs> the cinematography. Did you write it down? Yes. I think you wrote it down. I'm grabbing it. Is, it I think is, it's Musaraka. Is beautiful. The acting, it is tight. This is a movie worth watching. And I think that there's recently been a remaster of it in the last couple of years. Like People have recognized that this movie is something worth keeping. Yes, it's a B movie, but so good. It's it's an example of a B movie that is a really good movie. Absolutely. It, it's not it doesn't look cheap. Sometimes a B movie will will look cheap. It's a little cheesy, you know. They just throw an Afghan over a dog and say that it's some <laughs> sort of mutant animal. And we'll have to say though, William Talman playing Emmett Myers. Emmett Myers is supposed to be a young man. Emma <laughs> William Talman and, and Michael mentioned this before the podcast. He he had a hard life. The man's closing on his mid forties. <laughs> It's 28. They, at one point, and, and I remember I was watching it, and, and the, it was on the radio, and it, Emmett Myers, 28, yeah. and, and I just looked, and I went, no way. Uh-uh. I don't care. I don't care if you were out of the womb, you were drinking shots of Jaeger and shooting heroin. You're not going to look like that at 28. You're not. It's just... This is, I mean, and again, the suspension of disbelief, and we always see, you know, people are playing, you know, different ages, but... You just kind of went, you're not 28, bro. <laughs> you're lying about your age. Why? Why are you lying about your age? You're a psychopath, murderer. Don't need to lie about your age. No. Just, no. just admit you're 45 and move on with it, with the bum eye that doesn't close when you're doesn't sleeping. Doesn't close. No. And it, it's, and it's, I've been around people like that. And <laughs> when people, when their eyes are open and they're sleeping, I there's something, out. there's something very unsettling about that. No. It, we could go on and on about this movie. And there's so many other topics I want to talk I wanted to talk about hitchhiking in general. I mean, I even brought like my Jack Kerouac on the road. Oh, and- <laughs> there, we can only touch on so, so much. Because you guys aren't going to listen to us if we're going on for an hour and a half. No, it's particularly about like hitchhiking. But I'm going to put out in our show notes this Freakonomics episode about hitchhiking. And the horrors related that why hitch- hitchhiking has declined. And movies such as this... As, and Michael mentioned we were at discussing this like the movie like The Hitcher which like you said maybe someone might have seen this movie beforehand it had to have been the the, yeah. the mid 80s one with yeah. Rucker Howard and C. Thomas Howell yes fantastic that that I don't know if that qualifies as a B movie that may come up at some point interesting enough I love that movie so do I and shot in California Southwest not in Alabama Hills I don't think so but close enough I mean the the hitchhiker that we were talking about was shot in Alabama Hills. So, interesting enough, both these movies took place in California in the desert environments and areas sparsely populated. <laughs> it's that um, it's that migration west, man. Those Okies they brought out, and it just it's a it's just it just lends itself to poor behavior, <laughs> uncivilized people. And I mean, your judgment day will come. Your judgment day will come. I want to thank um, the Lost Abbey for the great judgment day, Abbey Quad and Raisin Beer. <laughs> I see it. It's got you. It's got me. Anyways, 
This is Beer and B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Thank you. Collins, put the can out in that rock there. You, Collins, throw a rock down that chair. Just for that sore ankle of yours needs, Collins, a nice long hike. So you did bust it, Collins. Not that one. The other one. What's up, Grace? We're almost done. We could walk down there and have lunch together, okay? I want to go. Not right now, honey. Give us like 25 more minutes, okay? Okay. All right. We got to put that in the outtakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, a pint of ice cream for myself. Yes. I w- no, I want you to take that. And put it in the intro or okay. the outro. Okay. I, I want that buried. In if there, you have to layer it I in will, there, I will do. You it. have to put that in there somehow. It's got to be because I love a pint of ice, ice cream, cream for myself. myself. <laughs> Not hey, can I get you guys anything? I want to get a pint of ice cream for myself.